This program is intended for informational and educational purposes only. All views and opinions expressed are the views and opinions of the individuals and sponsors presenting them, and not the LTB network. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. This is Paul Boyer. Welcome to the Mad Money Machine, episode 14 on 1414. And hello, blockheads of the world. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Why should fools have money in hand to buy wisdom when they're not able to understand it? Broadcasting from the Bitcoin bunker, six blocks below, brandishing the blockchain to fight good versus evil. This is Bitcoin versus the land. This is the battle of the century. This is the mad money machine. What's the difference between Bitcoin and my iPhone? Bitcoin seems to be getting less and less valuable, whereas my iPhone is getting more and more valuable, with new apps for it all the time. Well, I told you last week that my iPhone broke. The lightning charger cable, which I hate proprietary wires that you have to plug into your iPhone. I spent half the day going down to the Apple store, got my Genius Bar re uh, reservation, and got there about an hour early. They said, we can't check you in yet, so I went down to Starbucks, bought a coffee, waited around. It was a cold day, 20 degrees, walking around, went back about a half hour, finally saw somebody, and they, they checked me in a half hour early. Thank you. And I told him, you know, what the problem was. He looked at it, he, he put a lightning cable in, he says, hmm, doesn't seem to go in all the way. Uh, I'll be right back. He went in the back. About three minutes later, he came back with a piece of blue masking tape. And basically what he did is he took a coat hanger, shoved it into the lightning port, and pulled out a ball of yarn and showed it to me uh, on this piece of masking tape. And he said, here's what your problem was. Yeah, this has happened to me before. Lint gets into these ports and uh, obstructs the connection. I've had that happen in the um, in the headphone port. I think the first thing that goes in the headphone port is your microphone. So if you're if the little um, if the little um, clicker connector on your ear ear cord doesn't work anymore to pause and start programs, that's an indicator that you need to get in there with your coat hanger and fish out some uh, some yarn. <laughs> from the headphone cable. And that's what he fished out. I told him, you know, I, I went in there with a toothpick. I guess I just didn't scrub hard enough. He said, yep, it, it gets packed in there with that lightning cable. Every time you push it in, it really packs it in. And um, boy, oh, he had a lot of yarn on that piece of masking tape. So if your iPhone or whatever doesn't work, check for Lint. Well, the big news this week just happened, just came out today. Treasury um, Secretary Jack Lew, in conjunction with Fed Chair Janet Yellen, made the big announcement today. They are going to get into the 
market of cryptocurrencies with the announcement of the e-dollar. This is big. It shocked the Bitcoin world. Uh, Bitcoin now has serious competition from the U.S. government and the Federal uh, Reserve of the United States. They are going to create this cryptocurrency. They're calling it the e-dollar because it's actually a crypto coin that's going to be tied to the dollar's value. So it will actually be a currency, unlike Bitcoin, which was declared by the IRS to be a uh, property. And the way this will work is that there won't be a limit of the e-dollars, obviously, because if they limit it, it'll be sort of a deflationary currency. I guess it needs to be an inflationary cryptocurrency. The, the Every bank that wants to participate in this will have a mining rig set up. You can actually, uh, they'll be retrofitting ATM machines at these banks that are participating. You can actually go now with your ATM card and you can either get out dollars, you can put in dollars and checks, or you can use it as a e-dollar ATM and refill your, um, your ATM card, which will have a crypto chip on it. And I guess the idea then is to retrofit as many machines and uh, retailers as want to participate. You can uh, stick your e-dollar card into their machines and use e-dollars now the cryptocurrency tied to the dollar. This is a huge announcement. Now, of course, it's going to be running on government time. Don't expect it to be implemented anytime soon. I, I think the rollout's going to happen over the course of about a year, and the first blocks will be mined on this next April Fool's Day. Happy April Fool's Day, everybody. 2014. Dictionary defines a fool as a person who acts unwisely or imprudently. A silly person. Synonyms for a fool include idiot, ass, dunce, dull, ignoramus, imbecile, my favorite, cretin, dullard, simpleton, moron, and blockhead. That's what we all are. Blockheads. Well, all right, let's get back into serious Bitcoin talk here. Here's a thought that I've had that I haven't seen anywhere else. Now, normally my thoughts are just copies of somebody else's thought, but this one, this one's an original thought. And let me know if you've seen anybody else with this same thought. I want to, I want to investigate this some more. The actual dollar of the United States. We are fortunate, I think, to be living here in the United States, operating under the world reserve currency. I think it makes us wealthy. If you really look at the United States, we are, beyond a doubt, we have to be the wealthiest country on earth. And I think it's probably because of the dollar being the world's reserve currency. If you go into a grocery store, you actually have choices about any product that you want to purchase. Our Wegmans grocery store here on the Northeast, and we have one near where I live, is a Disney world of food. It's enormous. And no matter what item you're looking for, they have about 10 choices. You can go look for bacon, or you can look for uh, fruits and vegetables. You can look for canned goods, ice cream. There's at least 10 different choices that you have to make on any particular product. How wealthy we are as a country. There's a whole aisle just of potato chip varieties. 
compare that to any other country on earth. Does your country, uh, I'm speaking to you, the person not living other country other than the United States, do you have a whole aisle for potato chip varieties? Now, when I lived in London back in 96, 97 time frame, that was one of our joys is going to the tiny little market, the Tesco's or whatever. And, you know, they'd have a 10 or so potato chips to choose from. And they would have some unique varieties. I, I, uh, that was the first time I ever saw ketchup-flavored potato chips. And it's also the first time I ever saw turkey and stuffing-flavored potato chips. Now, since that time, back in the United States, we have all kinds of varieties. Uh, potato chip being my favorite fl- food, I'm quite an aficionado of potato chips. I know Pringles comes in hamburger flavor, bacon flavor. You can get... Um, other potato chips, Texas peat flavored. Pringles had a red hot sauce flavored potato chip. Uh, we are the wealthiest nation on earth, and I think it's because of the dollar. So, is our dollar like an altcoin? You know, there are over 200 altcoins now. Somebody says there will be hundreds of thousands of altcoins. I'm not quite sure all the coins are going to make it that far. There's obviously a long tail effect to altcoins, and if anybody can create one, then what's to stop stop somebody from creating one? But the problem then is getting attention from somebody else to be interested in your altcoin. Now, if you can get someone interested in your altcoin, you stand to gain a lot of money. You are the pump and dump guy. You generate the early coins, then everybody else gets interested, The price of the coin goes up, you dump them off on people, and you become wealthy. I think that's the same effect that we're having in the United States on our currency here, the dollar. I think the dollar is the world's pump and dump scheme. And I'm not joking on this. I'm actually being quite serious. Using the dollar as the world reserve currency gives us the power to print, create money, make it easily and readily available to citizens of the United States... And then when people from other countries want to buy it, we charge a very high price for those dollars. And that makes our country very, very wealthy indeed. What do you think? Have you ever heard anyone else talk about the dollar as the means of wealth in the United States? Is that why we're so wealthy? Now, when you think about that then is, why would anyone want to um, end the Fed? I've read Ron Paul's book, End the Fed, and, and it's a seductive argument. But if it makes us so wealthy, why would we want to turn it off? Send your thoughts, either out on Twitter, at Mad Money Machine, or email them to me if you like, bitcoin at madmoneymachine.com, or phone me, 571-366-7121, and uh, leave a voicemail message on, do you think the U.S. dollar is the world's biggest altcoin pump-and-dump scheme? And do you really now, if you realize that that's the case, do you still want to end the Fed? <laughs> Talking about a world where all is free. It just couldn't be. And only a fool would say that. Can we talk about movies for just a second? I failed to use Bitcoin to buy my movie ticket. I went to the movies a couple days ago. I have in the past gone on to gift.com and bought uh, movie tickets through Fandango. You know, you, I, I can buy uh, 
buy basically a gift card for Fandango, then go into Fandango and transfer the um, the code there to allow me to uh, buy the gift card, use the gift card rather at Fandango, and buy the movie tickets. And I just, you know, I just didn't do that this time. I just went. But I saw the movie Divergent, and I'm a sucker for these dystopian movies. You know, love science fiction. That's my favorite genre, and dystopian science fiction is even the best subgenre of the science fiction genre to me. Hunger Games loved it, uh, and Divergent loved it. I did read the book first. That's the way I like to do things. In fact, I wish, well, I kind of wish that I had would have had the time to read the very thick. Harry Potter novels before I saw the movie. People tell me that if you had read the books, you would have understand what's going on in those movies. Uh, but, you know, they're not dystopian science fiction as much as Hunger Games and Divergent are. I did read Divergent. It only took me about four sittings to get through it. And then the next day that I, after I finished reading the book, I went and saw the movie and loved it. Loved it, loved it, loved it. I recommend the same sort of thing. Read the book first, go see the movie. You know, there there are places where I can imagine if you're watching the movie, yeah, the movie's only two hours and 15 minutes long or something. They can't fit every nuance that's in the book overtly in the movie. It's it's something that's implied. And I'm not a guy kind of guy that picks up on subtleties too well. I'm, I'm pretty sure it has to be spelled out for me. But I liked it, I liked it, I liked it. I can't wait for, can't wait for Mockingjay to come out later this uh, November, the continuation of the Hunger Games series. And then I can't wait for the next um, installment of Divergent, which I think is called Insurgent. Love those movies. And it doesn't have a whole lot to do with Bitcoin, other than Bitcoin, I think, fits into a dystopian future where our world reserve currency is inflated beyond all recognition and is no good anymore. And all we are able to use is Bitcoin. So I guess that's, I haven't seen the TV show Almost Human, but I, I understand that that is the currency that is used in that TV show. They've not mentioned it not just once, but maybe several times in several episodes of the uh, TV show Almost Human. That That's the currency they use. Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. Yes, this is the 14th episode of the new Mad Money Machine. And if you do the European calendar, 1414. Also, I'm looking as I record this, it's 46 degrees outside and the millibit is worth 46 cents. Strange numerology is happening. Now, those of you who think Bitcoin is going to go down to $200 uh, first before it goes to $3,000, raise your hand. Okay, I see you. Uh Uh-huh, yeah, you in the back. And those of you who think Bitcoin is going to first go to $3,000 before it hits $200, uh, or alternatively, $0.20 on the low versus $3 on the high for millibits. Okay, very big show of hands. Most of you think that um, Bitcoin's 3,000 millibits going to $3 before it goes any lower. Well, I just saw a chart that someone did of uh, prices using a logarithmic scale out on Bitstamp. 
And there are four flag patterns. I love chart analysis. <laughs> it's so stupid. But in the past, there are four flag patterns where Bitcoin price ran up real quickly and then kind of blah, 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 dribbled back down for a while and then ran up real quickly and then blah, 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 dribbled back down a while four times. And we're in the fourth one of these right now. It's blah, 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 dribbling back down. And then the next one, the next sh big shot upward should reach about $3,000 in Bitcoin, $3 in millibits. And it should happen pretty soon. So I think you're a fool if you think it's over. Save your crying for the day. Fool if you think it's over. Cause you said goodbye. Fool if you think it's over. I'll tell you why. Well, I do have to take a moment and celebrate. Here we go. All right, celebration's over. This is actually the Mad Money Machine episode number 200. I started this show back in 2005 as an investment show. Um, the quickest possible history of it, I started out picking stocks uh, against Jim Cramer's Mad Money picks. Then I went into index funds, passively managed index funds. Then I looked at lazy portfolios and how to arrange passive managed index funds. And then I got into the Harry Brown permanent portfolio. And uh, after doing about, I don't know, 20 or so shows all about the permanent portfolio, I thought, eh, this is getting kind of boring. So I gave up. I wrote a book last year. No, it was two years ago called The Original Counter Argument. It's about, uh, it's basically some of the anti-federalist papers rewritten in modern English. And then I got into Bitcoin. And so December, I said, I'll repurpose the Mad Money Machine as a show all about the new cryptocurrency. And uh, um, it's my great privilege to have won the Let's Talk Bitcoin podcast competition. And here I am today, 14 shows later, talking to you about Bitcoin. Some things never change. Speaking of things that never change, let's play a round of the world's favorite game. Going back all the way to Mad Money Machine episode one in 2005, Guru Roulette. I've replaced the numbers on a roulette wheel with the names of Bitcoin gurus. I'll spin the wheel and roll the marble. And for the selected guru, give you a little background on their Bitcoin philosophy. So here we go. And the winner this time on Mad Machine episode 14 is Mark Andreessen. Mark Lowell Andreessen, born July 9th, 1971, that's almost exactly 10 years after you-know-who, is an American entrepreneur, investor, software engineer, and multi-millionaire. He is best known as co-author of Mosaic, the first widely used web browser, and co-founder of Netscape Communications Corporation, and also as co-founder and general partner of Silicon Valley venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz. <laughs> he recently spoke at the Coin Summit in California, and knowing that he's an investor in Bitcoin, you can be pretty sure he had some positive things to say about it. 
Um, so kind of the two things that we think about a lot. So first of all, we think it's important to put Bitcoin sort of in context with, 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 with where it actually is. And so Bitcoin is, right, Bitcoin's only existed for five years. The original paper came out in 2009. Um, I think the relevant comparison point for Bitcoin is actually about 1993 for the consumer internet. Um, and, or 1994 actually, and I say that because like 1989 was actually when the web was actually first invented, when HTTP and HTML were invented. And there was like this five year period between 89 and 94 where those of us who were working kind of on the early, you know, at the time NSFNet um, and on early Mosaic, you know, you could kind of use this stuff and you could see it. Um, but it was really fringe and really new and really weird and really scary and really odd. Um, and then, you know, it just, it, you know, it, it kind of arrived as a fringe technology. Um, and then, by the way, it arrived with fringe politics, um, and it arrived with fringe characters. Um, and there were actually a whole cast of characters in that era, uh, some of whom became actually very successful, um, some of whom are, are uh, you know, historical uh, figures now. Um, but there were a whole set of sort of fringe characters who had these sort of crazy ideas. Um, many of the actual technical ideas turned out to be absolutely correct. Um, many of the political ideas, you know, are, depending on your point of view, turned out to be correct or not correct, and actually a fair number of people got disillusioned. Uh, politically kind of through that process, um, but it worked. Um, and there was this process of maturation uh, through which it worked. And so I, I, I think that the, the critique of Bitcoin as sort of, you know, being fringe technology accompanied by fringe politics and fringe characters, I don't know how you get fringe technology without fringe politics and fringe characters. Um, you just have to go through a maturation process where you come out the other end and the fringe technology goes mainstream and gets widely adopted. Um, along the way, the fringe characters and the fringe politics tend to get alienated and then tend to move on to the next fringe technology and the cycle repeats. Um, but you don't get the new technologies from the mainstream. Um, you get them from the fringe. And so I, I think this is a case study of that. You know, every single one of the kinds of things that you mentioned um, is, is an example of, of kind of how I think the early stages of this adoption cycle happened. So it, it would be really shocking if this kind of thing weren't happening. It would be very historically unusual if this kind of thing weren't happening. Um, speaking for us, um, we are, consider ourselves mainstream investors um, uh, and we consider ourselves in the business of building mainstream companies. We only invest in companies that want to be on the regulatory straight and narrow. Um, and so the thing like we don't take any chances on for something that has like, you know, implications like Bitcoin um, is, you know, we would not take chances on somebody who's going to run an exchange the way that Mt. Gox got run or anything like that. Like, you know, Coinbase is our big public investment and they're extremely rigorous uh, about being properly licensed. Um, and so everything we do will kind of fall in that category. Oh, yes. He's talking about the good old days of the Internet. I remember 1994 very, very well uh, downloading the original Mosaic client and running it probably on our uh, Sun OS workstations, that gray background with the black text on it. And every, you know, every once in a while, there'd be a new innovation. Wow, an image. You can see an image inside the browser. Ooh, look at that. You can click an image and it's actually a link and it takes you to a new page. And ooh, look at this nice catalog of all the other websites out there called Yahoo. Wow, and there's new pages added to Yahoo all the time. New information available at your fingertips. This could change the world. Well, Mark Andreessen is saying that Bitcoin could change the world. Now, they're going to ask him a question about Warren Buffett. Let's first hear what Warren Buffett had to say. The Allen Company Conference in Arizona, the tech conference, and Bitcoin was the big two-syllable word that everybody was talking about and trying to understand. I'm just curious of your thoughts on Stay that. Stay away from it. Stay away from Bitcoin. <laughs> well, it's a mirage, basically. I mean, it's a, it's a method of, of transmitting money. It's a very effective way of transmitting money, and you can do it anonymously and all that. A check is a way of transmitting money, too. Our checks are worth a whole lot of money just because they can transmit money. Our money orders, you can transmit money by money orders. People do it. I hope Bitcoin becomes a better way of doing it, but you can replicate it 
a bunch of different ways, and it will be. And the idea that it has some huge intrinsic value is just a joke, in my view. All right, let's take you back to the Coin Summit Conference now, where Balaji Srinivas and Mark Andreessen were asked by the host, what do you think about Warren Buffett's view of Bitcoin? Yeah. Uh, so we're in the final two minutes here. So I was hoping we could just end by, um, uh, if you guys wouldn't mind addressing, Warren Buffett recently made this comment that Bitcoin is a mirage and encouraged investors to run away from it because he said essentially that it's, you know, it's a great way to make new payments, but you can't make uh, money on Bitcoin itself. So I was curious if you Bitcoin guys... has outperformed Berkshire Hathaway by a lot over the last year. <laughs> <laughs> The historical track record of old white men who don't understand technology crapping on new technology is, I think, at 100%. Awesome. Okay. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Great chat. Yeah, well, 20 years ago, Mark Andreessen wasn't an old white guy either. He's 42 now. He was 22 years old then, and he made history by inventing Mosaic at the NCSA, National Center for Supercomputer Applications in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. I uh, Later that year, in 94, I got to speak at the second World Wide Web Conference on Mosaic and the Web. I gave a talk called Information Discovery and Distillation in Government, an Experience Report. And the web has been pretty much uh, erased of all that. Even NCSA's website doesn't have any um, links back to that history. Those were fun times. And you know what? These are fun times, too. Well, congratulations, Mark Andreessen. You're the guru on Mad Mum Machine, episode 14. Time now for Satoshi's Corner. Satoshi no We're making our way through Satoshi Nakamoto's breakthrough paper, Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer electronic cash system, released in November of 2008. This week we're on section 6, Incentive. Now we've already gone through the introduction, section 1, which tells us that we're trying to get a system where we don't have to rely on trusted third parties. Section 2, the transactions, talked about the electronic coin and how we transfer uh, the electronic coin value from one user to another user using digital signatures. Section 3, talked about the need for a timestamp server. And then Section 4, talked about how to basically implement a timestamp server using proof of work. And by involving work into this uh, chain of transactions... That ledger of transactions can't be altered now because it takes too much work to go back and alter it. Section 5 we did last week basically talked about how the network works to uh, send transactions around and get them into the blockchain. Now we talk about incentive and why somebody would want to participate 
in the blockchain network. And here's what Satoshi writes about it. Three paragraphs long. By convention, the first transaction in a block is a special transaction that starts a new coin owned by the creator of the block. This adds an incentive for nodes to support the network and provides a way to initially distribute coins into circulation, since there is no central authority to issue them. The steady addition of a constant amount of new coins is analogous to gold miners expending resources to add gold to circulation. In our case, it's CPU time and electricity that is expended. The incentive can also be funded with transaction fees. If the output value of a transaction is less than its input value, the difference is a transaction fee that is added to the incentive value of the block containing a transaction. Once a predetermined number of coins have been entered into circulation, the incentive can transition entirely to transaction fees and be completely inflation-free. The incentive may also help encourage nodes to stay honest. If a greedy attacker is able to assemble more CPU power than all the honest nodes, he would have to choose between using it to defraud people by stealing back his payments or using it to generate new coins. He ought to find it more profitable to play by the rules, such rules that favor him with more new coins than everyone else combined, than to undermine the system and the validity of his own wealth. Well, it's interesting in this section that he does talk about how the gold miners expending resources to add gold to circulation, but in our case, it's CPU time and electricity. And it's one of the big criticisms against Bitcoin is, you know, it takes enough electricity to light a city in some cases to one to run one of these mining farms with all the computer power that's humming and heating uh, along nicely. That's one of the reasons why I think Bitcoin mining operations are located in northern climates like Iceland and a, a eastern Washington state. Cool climates, they don't need as much, perhaps, air conditioning power. Why don't we hook Bitcoin mining rigs up to water tanks and heat water that way? Provide heat for your home, hot water for your home. Now, Satoshi's paper doesn't specifically elaborate on the uh, coin generation scheme that he's uh, that we uh, ended up with in Bitcoin. Doesn't talk about 50 coins generated per uh, block at the initially, and then however many blocks later, you know, basically four years later, having that each time to 25, which is where we are currently, and another three years or so, it'll be down to 12 and a half coins per block, and then 6.25, and three and an eighth, uh, on until the year we estimate to be about 2140, uh, mathematically speaking, that uh, the last Satoshi will be mined. And then it'll be all transaction fees. But currently, you know, when I go into the market minutes segment, we talk about how many, how much money worth of bitcoins is generated, something like twelve to fifteen, even up to twenty, twenty-five thousand uh, dollars per uh, block in mining fees have been rewarded to miners, whereas transaction fees have been, you know, fifty dollars, seventy dollars, hundred and twenty-five dollars on that order recently. So transaction fees are going to have to go up in the long run if these miners are going to expend all of this energy uh, and electricity mining Bitcoins. But ironically, in the new Bitcoin QT 0.90 release, they have allowed the option of transaction fees to be lowered by a factor of 10. 
Well, it'll be interesting to see how it all works out for the miners. You're listening to Paul Boyer's Mad Money Machine. Let's pull something out of the Mad Money Machine Bitcoin tool crib. Well, a tool is not always a tool. Sometimes a tool is a website. And the best website for Bitcoin news I've found, other than Reddit, is Coindesk.com. Look at the headlines right now at Coindesk.com. IRS ruling may have a bright side. They say last week's IRS Bitcoin guidance has reaffirmed Bitcoin's status as digital gold, argues John Matonis. Neo and B suspends Bitcoin share trading due to abnormal activity. How about uh, Mickey Malka on how Bitcoin can help the world's unbanked? Next headline, mining hardware companies, a customer's roundup. Next headline, why Bitcoin faces an uphill battle in the remittance market. How about this one, Mt. Gox used client money for extravagances, allege staff. And this one, Hull Coin, H-U-L-L Coin, the world's first local government cryptocurrency, question mark. And Hull, I remember Hull, UK, the uh, Hull City, about, what was it, three or four years ago, made it to the Premier League in uh, UK soccer. And uh, I got a Hull City jersey for Christmas that year. And now Hull is into Bitcoin. Way to go, Hull. Hullers. I don't think they're in the Premier Leagues anymore, though. wonder if anyone's ever said, go to Hull. Well, Coindesk is the way to go. They're the premier online news source for Bitcoin news, coindesk.com. And like the best things in life, it's free. The best things in life are free. You can keep it for the birds and bees, not give me So earlier, I kind of joked about the government uh, developing an e-dollar. Boy, wouldn't they love to do that, to uh, have an e-dollar, a blockchain-based currency that uh, is effectively mirrors the U.S. dollar's value and is in sync with that value all the time. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine they're probably talking about it, you know, have banks sort of control the e-dollar supply to keep it exactly on par with the dollar's value. Well, there's an article I just read out at dataveteran.se. Why banks cannot replicate the blockchain. I'll have a link to this article in the show notes. He says, today's post is one of the main reasons why I felt I had to start this blog. UBS, which is um, United Bank of Switzerland, or is it Union Bank of Switzerland? Whatever. UBS has published a report of 36 pages on Bitcoin. And there's a link. He's going to focus on page 31, the section Institutionalizing Bitcoin. And in the report, they say Bitcoin does provide a revolutionary new payment system. It's used as a cheap form of international money transfer. And uh, in principle, financial institutions with existing anti-money laundering systems in place like banks could adopt a common Bitcoin-like technology to facilitate fast and secure international transfers between end users with fiat currencies as the unit of account. And so this is actually an article saying and suggesting that maybe there could be a fiat currency 
that is replicated into a blockchain cryptocurrency. And this gentleman out at dataveteran.se says, I will now explain why the distributed ledger concept called the blockchain will never work for banks in the way they want it. He says, first, it's important to understand why Bitcoin works. It works because there's no single point of failure. It's set up that at least 50, if at least 51% of the participants in the network are not crooks, hmm, <laughs> then the network works flawlessly. We don't even need to know who the other 49% are. Second, suppose that we would like to copy or mimic the Bitcoin blockchain approach backed by a fiat currency or that its money supply can be regulated. Presumably, the banks themselves would like to inject cash on demand by into the system. This means that we now abandon one of the most fundamental aspects of Bitcoin, which is the deterministic finite money supply. Unfortunately for the banks, this is impossible because it will break the whole system by bypassing the very first requirement, which is violating the principle of single point of failure. Why? Well, today new Bitcoins are created as a reward mechanism to the miners who process transaction. The transaction bundle, called a block, requires a verification process which is immensely computationally complicated. And the reason for it is immensely, the reason why it's immensely computationally complicated is not to waste electricity, which UBS seems to think, but guarantees protection against counterfeiting. Well, that's the whole thing with banks, I say. I mean, that's the whole thing with the dollar. It's counterfeited. The government counterfeits it whenever it wants to. The banks counterfeit it whenever they uh, give out loans. He goes on to say that if UBS wants to replicate the blockchain approach but have a separate system to inject fresh cash into the system, then there must be an outside mechanism, not part of the blockchain itself, for doing so. Presumably there will be some kind of digital stamp that validates new money injected into the system. The problem is... How do you know whether this digital stamp is on the run or not? Just the rumor that the digital stamp is on the run will collapse the system. He concludes his article by saying, The Internet is a, the internet is a free public network where everyone can participate. No one's foolish enough to try to build their own network and try to outcompete Internet. So my advice to our banks is not to try to fight Internet, uh, sorry, Bitcoin, he says, and start using it. Bitcoin will be the superior payment system and currency on this planet, whether you like it or not. The sooner you jump on board this ship, the more power you'll get. The longer you wait, the less power you'll get in this new world order, his quote. Are you on board yet? I am. And you know what? I actually somewhat have to disagree. I think it's possible for someone to invent an e-dollar. I think it's possible for them to inject new e-dollars into the system. Uh, there would still be mining based on transaction fees, but they would still have to regulate e-dollars to make them equal to the dollar. Let me know what you think about this and also the fact that the dollar as the world's reserve currency make USA the richest na nation on earth. Either tweet me at Mad Money Machine, send me an email, Bitcoin at Mad Money Machine, or call 571-366-7121. I'm a fool for you anyway. I'm a fool for you anyway. Cause I'm a fool for you anyway. Sign up. 
Since today is episode 14 of the Mad Money Machine on 1414, let's take a look at the 14th most valuable altcoin. Let's see how long it takes you to guess what the 14th most valuable altcoin is. It's the only privacy-centric cryptographic currency. It provides anonymous transactions, and it was released on the 18th of January, 2014, with no pre-mine. It is 0.00000% pre-mined. It has a secure hashing algorithm, 11 rounds of scientific hashing functions. It has GPU-only mining. Whoops, strike that. Its block generation is 2.5 minutes, and the difficulty retargets every minute. And there's an estimated 22 million maximum of these coins. Well, the 14th most valuable altcoin is Darkcoin. You can go to darkcoin.io to find out more. According to coinmarketcap.com, it has a market value of $2.5 million. Each coin is worth 66 cents. And there are about 3.8 million of them at the moment. Congratulations, Dark Coin. You're the altcoin of the week. Well, should we try a merchant of the week? I'll go to spinbitcoins.com slash places. There are now 482 pages worth of places where you can spend bitcoins or millibits. And, you know, I've got to tell you a little secret. I don't actually have a 482-sided die. I go to random.org and I enter a number between 1 and 482. So let me do that right now. 1 and 482 generate. Oh my goodness, 3. Comes up on page 3 and then one between between 1 and 10 is the item on the page. What? 3 again? That's weird. Let me try this. Let me just make sure this is actually working. 482 generate. Yeah, 290. Okay, that's quite a coincidence. I got number 3 twice there. All right, let's go to page three and pull up item three on the page. It says, One Broker Bitcoin Services. I'll click on the link there. It says, Bitcoin, Forex, and CFD trading. Leveraged trading on gold, silver, stock indices, and currency pairs. I'll click on the little link for the website. And it says, Proceed to external website. OneBroker.com, the numeral one. Don't hoard your Bitcoins. Trade on Euro, USD, Gold, Apple Incorporated, and more. Invest or speculate. So it looks like you create an account there and you spend your Bitcoins. Well, I neither have vetted this site nor guarantee its authenticity or accuracy. But there you go. That's the random nature of the Merchant of the Week. OneBroker.com Well, since we're talking money, let's take a minute to look at the market for millibits. Ah, it's a tough slide for the old Bitcoin. Like I mentioned earlier, the current price in millibits is about 46 cents. And the total number of millibits in circulation is back up over last week. Last week, I talked about how blockchain.info reported it to be 12.11 billion after the previous week's 12.46 billion. But now they're reporting 12.58 billion. So something went a little awry last week. 12.58 billion, billion millibits in circulation, which works out to be a market cap now under $6 billion. It's now $5.75 billion market cap for all the millibits in the world. The average time between blocks, 8.78 minutes. 
The reward fee per block for miners, $11,425. And I'm still not getting a report from blockchain.info on transaction fees per block. Could be just my fault. I'm looking at a hash rate over 4 billion. No, it's 40 billion giga hashes per second. The weekly high, according to bitcoinity.org, out of Bitstamp, the high we reached was 59 cents per millibit, and the low got down to 43 cents per millibit. Now let's look at the 30-day. The high of our 30 days was 71 cents, and the low was, again, that 43 cents. So we're going down, 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 down. And all I got to say is... Bitcoins are on sale. Bitcoins are on sale. Half price. Get them while they're hot. Well, that's our Madman Machine Millibit Market Minute. Call the Mad Money Machine voicemail line at 571-366-7121. The man with the foolish grin is keeping perfectly still. Nobody wants to know him They can see that he's just a fool And he never gives an answer But the fool on the hill Sees the sun Well, Patrick Byrne of Overstock.com's No Fool He decided to accept Bitcoin And they did a follow-up with him on Fox all right, stocking up on Bitcoin online retailer Overstock.com says it accepted more than a billion bucks in Bitcoins in less than two months. Patrick Byrne is the CEO of the company. Thank you so much for coming back to the show. You know, when you first said that you were going to do this, we asked you to come back and tell us how it went. So we appreciate that you honored that. You've done a million dollars worth of sales so far. What is your typical Bitcoin customer like? How do they behave differently? Well, in one sense, they're, one way they're different is that they're male as opposed to female. Typically, our shoppers are about 60% female. The Bitcoin users are 80% male. They also spend quite a bit more, about $230 versus $150. Why do you order. think that is? I mean, what's your gut on that? Uh, well, it, part of it is a mixed shift. They're mixed. They, they buy, they're more prone to buy computers and electronics than... Uh, than our normal traffic. However, not that much more. They are buying a lot of furniture and sheets and everything else. Maybe it's an affluent thing, or maybe it's because they're affluent. If they have Bitcoin, maybe Bitcoin skews yeah. affluent. Also, it could be that they're just trying to show support. I have, I'm seeing on blogs and such that the Bitcoin community is trying to show support by coming and spending money at Overstock. Have you had any challenges so far, and are you holding on to the Bitcoin, or do you trade it into dollars right away? Great quote. We tra we so far we've been we were trading it into dollars. And I think I told you that on the last show we were instantaneously converting into dollars. But we decided about ten days ago that we're actually going to start accumulating a bit of Bitcoin, maybe about ten percent of sales. We won't convert into dollars. We'll just accumulate and build a, and build a reserve of it. Well, I wonder if he's keeping track of every Bitcoin that he receives and what the price of bitcoins were on the various exchanges at the time he received them because when it goes time for him to spend them he's got to report uh, the cost basis and the differential to the IRS now. IRS ruled that bitcoin is a property and you've got to report the difference between your purchase price and your selling price on your taxes. Now, fortunately, I've actually done this. I've actually kept a spreadsheet. Every time I receive a Bitcoin, I put down the current price on a certain exchange of what Bitcoins were trading at. 
And then when I go to spend one, I also record the current price. So I've got a spreadsheet. I am told that there will be wallets coming out that also capture the current exchange price every time a transaction occurs in your wallet. So you'll be able to you know, export that into your tax preparation software. Oh, what a joy that'll be, won't it? When it comes time to pay taxes on it. Fortunately for me, I didn't have any Bitcoin sales in 2013. I just did uh, accumulations. So I don't have any um, reportable events for the previous tax year. Hopefully, maybe, who knows, there might be changes between now and next tax reporting season. We can only hope. Listen to Paul Boyer's Mad Money Machine every Tuesday on KCAA Radio, 10.50 a.m. and on letstalkbitcoin.com. We watched the movie Gladiator uh, this past weekend with, um, you know, uh, Russell Crowe, who's also in the movie Noah, which I've heard is absolutely horrible. But uh, it's it's amazing to me how similar the movie Gladiator is to the movie Braveheart. And both of them, they say, hold, hold, hold. And that's what we're saying to you with Bitcoin is hold. Or is it just a babbling of fools? <laughs> Here now, with the song Babbling of Fools, John Zielman and the Selves on the Podsafe Music Network. This is from MusicAlley.com. I don't know the secrets you keep, but I know where you hide. I don't trust this feeling I get, yeah, but I'll get by. I can't tell right from wrong at the best of times. One can be so enchanted. Though you're coming lies, battling the fools, battling the fools. Lose yourself to search your soul in all the wrong places. Waste your time to find what's missing, but nothing comes to mind. Find your bliss to put on a smile on all the wrong faces. Share the light with all so many, but you're just as blind. Babbling of fools, babbling of fools, babbling of fools. Thanks so very much for listening to the Mad Money Machine episode 14 for 1414. This is Paul Boyer saying it takes money to make money. It takes millibits to make a Mad Money Machine. 
Don't forget to weigh in on whether you think the dollar as a reserve currency is making the USA wealthy and what you think about the e-dollar. Could it happen or could it not happen? Uh, One little tip for you. If you don't like the Mad Money Machine and you want to stop getting it in your Let's Talk Bitcoin network feed, all you need to do is go to Let's Talk Bitcoin and click on the Shows tab. In there, it will tell you how to subscribe to each show individually. There, in there, you can subscribe to all the shows except for Mad Money Machine. That way it won't take up your bandwidth and it won't take up my bandwidth either. Well, I will see you next Tuesday. 2 p.m. on KCAA Radio, 10.50 a.m. on beautiful Southern California. In fact, today here, finally, it's going to get above 60 degrees. Ah, not as bitter anymore. (laughs) Well, in the meantime, between now and next Tuesday, buy some Bitcoin, spend some Bitcoin, donate some Bitcoin, and then replenish your Bitcoin. If you found anything at all you like about the show, could you tweet it, including at Mad Money Machine in your tweet? If you've got a voicemail... Question, call 571-366-7121. My website is madmoneymachine.com. There you can find the show notes and subscribe to the show's feed in iTunes. Email me, bitcoin at madmoneymachine.com. I'm also on Facebook and Reddit. Later this evening on KCAA Radio, you'll find Let's Talk Bitcoin. I think they're up to episode 98, getting very close to their 100th episode. Tomorrow night, Ed and Ethan, Bitcoin Report. Their show is 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern Time on KCAA Radio. And, of course, you'll get that podcast early on Thursday. The Thursday lineup at KCAA Radio, 7 o'clock p.m. Pacific, is Sex and Science Hour with Stephanie Murphy and Brian Sovereign. Friday night, 7 p.m., the slot there says Bitcoins and Gravy. And then Saturday, the second of the twice-weekly episodes of Let's Talk Bitcoin. 1 p.m. Saturdays, Pacific Time. Of course, all those shows are available on letstalkbitcoin.com through the podcast links. Have a happy April Fool's Day, everybody. And be easy on your buddies. Don't give them a heart attack with your April Fool's pranks. (laughs) I'll see you next Tuesday, unless it gets so warm that I'd just rather go golfing instead. (music) 